You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian. With me today, I have Harrison, Mad Dog Crow, and Kieran, the Dragon of Doja Doyle. We also have a special guest, Mike Navrugio. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. It's a, it's a very special honor and treat to have you with us. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Yeah. Do you want to uh, just kind of give people real quick so they know who you are, kind of what you do in the analytics space, uh, you know, just, just kind of a your, your bona fides, as they say? Yeah, sure. So I work in consulting uh, as part of a scouting department. Um, I work almost entirely with data to help teams figure out what players they should be looking further into to help scout. That's a very cool job that I think we all wish we had. Um, (laughs) But it's very cool that you do. Well, thank you for coming uh, to the show. We are doing our second show in two weeks, which is maybe an all-time record for the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm not sure. yeah. Did everybody have a good, a good soccer week? You guys seen a good soccer this week? I'm really offended that you called me Mad Dog, but we'll we'll skip on past that. Dog Crow, it's your new nickname. Yay. <laughs> That's a horrible nickname. <laughs> Toronto FC were formally formally booted from the playoff race. So uh, uh, a a horrible week for me. Yeah. Seattle Sounders uh informally booted from uh <laughs> the the playoff race. So, you know, we, Vancouver gets that, you know, happiness for for another week longer. Yeah. I mean, they they did it. They did it. They uh they they crushed the last, I think, emotional spirit that was left there for that team and um, you know, I can only pick up the pieces of a completely failed season where the only thing Seattle accomplished was winning the CCL. I know it's it's like what did you even do with your season? What did you? What did you it's embarrassing. But we talked about Seattle last week. We talked about a number of teams last week. Oh, I, I do have to uh, make an apology uh, to any of my uh, Montreal Impact fans out there because I repeatedly incorrectly referred to your team as I just did a second ago again as the Montreal Impact, which you are no longer. <laughs> Harrison, what is the what is the actual name of the team in Montreal? I like how you I didn't even recognize when you corrected yourself that it was Montreal FC. Like I hadn't like I didn't even recognize it's not Montreal that. FC either. All right, it's, it's not, not Montreal, Montreal FC, FC either. Is it, what is, Let's what is it? Let's everybody say what you think the correct name for the MLS team in Montreal is, Kieran. It, it is the Montreal Club de Foot. That is correct. Oh my gosh. We did not have to go all the way around um, mercifully. Well, I mean, I believe they're. <laughs> that's true. We did. I, I did believe pick the, pick the right one. I believe they're bringing back the impact logo, though. That's good. It was Mike. Better. I like impact. I, I want to know, Mike. Would you have gotten that correct? I imagine you would have, right? Yeah, I would have pronounced it incorrectly, but I would have gotten it correct. <laughs> <laughs> I get you well, right on this show. Yeah, I was gonna say you fit in perfectly already. You are you are home folk. Um, but yes, we discussed them. My apologies to all fans of the Club de Foot, the Montreal team. Uh, anyway, 
that's why we don't talk about you because I don't know what you're actually called. Uh, we talked about Toronto. We talked about Austin. We had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of laughs, a lot of good memories. But it's time to get serious. And I'll tell you why. Because the Major League Saucer season is quickly coming to a close. Um, on the docket today, let's start with fan favorite, the team everybody loves, Atlanta. Um, it's been a disappointing year for Atlanta, as many years, well, many's maybe harsh, a few years have been. Um, what's going wrong in Atlanta? Like, what, what's they're, they're not out of the playoffs. They're 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 like Seattle. They're, they're, they're they, the hopes are not high, but they are still technically alive. Uh, this is not where they want to be. This is not where you would expect them to be if you saw them their first two seasons. And so, uh, I ask of you all, what's going on with Atlanta? Yeah. I'm not stepping on that. That's that seems like a grenade. That's a loaded grenade. I'm go ahead, Karen. No, I mean I think even Atlanta it. fans would would agree that there's something <laughs> not going right in Atlanta. I think we're safe. I think we're safe. Uh, Atlanta are weird where it feels like most years their underlying numbers are better than their actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Other than the years where like they were really good where they were just like crazy. But even this year, like Something like plus four expected goal difference, but minus four actual goal difference, would, which would be like very firmly a playoff team. Mm-hmm. In G+, plus, they're like top 10 by goals added differential. It's You look at their DPs, like Araujo is very good. Almada is probably quite good. Joseph mm-hmm. is like a little bit crocked, which we'll talk about. But it, I'm not really sure at least looking just from a straight numbers perspective, nothing stands out as very obviously like, oh, this team is broken. Um, But then you watch them and they kind of are. I I mean, okay. So yeah, you hit on all the points on why I think this is a, uh, on the, uh, why I think this is a grenade, because I think instinctively we're going to look at this and inflexibly say they're fine. And, and look, it, they're obviously not fine, right? They definitely have some problems. You can see it tactically. Just the their their spine of their team is definitely there. It needs to be reinforced, and that's where I think that they need to spend their money. Miles Robinson being gone was a huge is a huge blow to that to that entire team and tactically how they kind of formulate themselves because now you have a slow D mid and you have a pair of, and, or sometimes even a trio of slow center backs. Whereas beforehand you had a center back that was incredibly athletic, somebody that could go after and have really great recovery. Uh, was probably one of the, the better recovery, uh, defenders, uh, and miles Robinson, but also had the insane ability with the ball at his feet. Um, and you take that away, you take a, a, a top 10 defender, a uh, top 10 center back in the league away from that team. And yeah, it, it's kind of not surprising that they're as broken as what they are, because I think a lot of that, a lot of what they do was going to surround them. There's certainly an idea that, um, you know, I think a lot of what made Atlanta so exciting and so um, good back in their in their heyday, um, you know, that ancient history of like five years ago, um, <laughs> was just like they had this ability to just kind of be extremely devastating in transition, right? And um, 
Joseph was just a very lively person. Like um, he was one of those guys that was like um, stylistically, I wouldn't say he was <clears throat> similar to like Wondolowski, but like in the way that he just always found the space, he was just always in the spot. Like the man was just like brilliant at just being places where, where goals were going to be scored. And, you know, he just had a, a great nose for that and a great instinct. And um, let's be honest, like when Joseph Martinez was out, Atlanta was, you know, struggled, um, even back then. So, you know, I think that that's just like, they have not kind of figured out that space yet. And I, I think we've definitely seen, I hate calling a player finished or, you know, crocked or, uh, you know, the legs are gone. Like, I don't know. Fitness is a, is, is a spectrum, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, I don't know where he's at, you know, physically right now. Uh, but it, it seems like we're looking at a, a shadow of Joseph Martinez. Now, Kieran, and you guys can, you guys, somebody can answer. Is there a problem with how many runs he's making uh, when he's in the game? Is there a problem? Cause you know, that was something that you kind of brought up there uh, in that, that he was making a lot of those runs and he was pushing that back line and he was getting in behind uh, defenses. And it seems like that he, it feels like he's dropping much further into the the midfield now. And maybe that's, uh, that's part of the problem with having um, certain pieces out that tactically he's forced to kind of uh, play some of that role that maybe doesn't suit his skill set. but it do- definitely does feel like he's not uh, purposefully pushing that back line. So, yeah, I, I talked to our friend Teodal Football, who is, um, you know, an Atlanta man. Unfortunately, he could not uh, join us, but uh, he did pull some numbers for me with regards to Joseph uh, Martinez's run from our friends at Second Spectrum. Um, and Joseph Martinez is making 5.2 runs per 90, um, which puts him just barely in the top 100 forwards, like for comparison, like the league leader, you know, it was still is, but you know, was Castellanos who was making about 17 for 90. Um, and like <laughs> yeah. And so in like your top 24s are doing like eight to nine. So he's about half of that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, when you're, your guy that, you know, earned his living, you know, being that guy that made those runs stops making those runs. You kind of have to wonder like, all right, what's he going to do now? Because I don't know that he has like the technique to be kind of like a drop deep forward. Uh, he doesn't seem to have like the eye for the pass and that, that sense either. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think there's some other like interesting bellwethers in terms of um, as well as the runs. Like if you look at um, like, I'm looking at his FB ref profile right now and he has the lowest number of progressive passes received in his career this year per 90 um his and then even you look at stuff like when he has the ball like the fewest number of progressive carries the fewest number of carries into the final third fewest number of carries into the 18 yard box um like those are all little athleticism tells where when you're talking about a guy who has been one of the if not the single most explosive athletes in the league it's really hard to to adjust out of that and not that not that he's like an old man or anything like that but 29 is probably post peak when we're talking about an athleticism dominant forward like if you compare him to um 
if you compare him to someone like Theo Walcott, who's maybe not the exact same comparison. That's not like, the name I was expecting you were going to say. <laughs> well, sure. But if you if you think about another who like yeah. whose yeah, skill set yeah. as a striker was mostly yeah. movement in behind, mm-hmm. like you can see Theo Walcott is probably four years younger than you think he is. Um, but he's been post-peak for four years already. Yeah. But Wal- Walcott was a winger also originally, correct? Originally, and then moved up front, which I think is the same story as Joseph. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, that was exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. There's, um, yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely true. And I know a lot of Atlanta fans constantly. One of the big complaints I see about Atlanta is that uh, their players are very um, dribbly, uh, like especially out in the wings, uh, and they're not bad at it per se but but you're just seeing like not a lot of service i think go to de martinez for that reason too so that that might be like a compounding thing too is these guys just don't have that same sort of like almiron was just head up where's joseph you know like that was kind of his his move and and, and even like uh viaba like like players like that so um it, i don't want to necessarily lay it all at the feet of joseph martinez like this could also just be a tactical thing that's changed and you know he's just not quite like the dynamic fit that he once was like that perfect that perfect sort of a uh, fit you know what i mean yeah and i do think that i think that's actually a decent segue to talk about like you mentioned uh miles robinson going down i think it is is maybe underplayed how important having good center back play is to your attack which mm-hmm. i realize is somewhat counterintuitive but like one of the big things that gets your transition going is like defending crosses appropriately where like if you think about a cross it's a low percentage ball so it's fairly likely to be a turnover and uh teams are committing numbers forward in like an unstructured way to get into the box it, you see a lot of times teams that cross a lot if they don't have good possession structures get countered a lot as well and so i think if you look like at some of the atlanta squad some of the squad stats like they're Top five in passes, bottom five, top five. They're one of the five best teams in terms of not allowing passes into their third, in terms of not allowing progressive passes. But they're bottom half of the league in terms of passes allowed into their box. They're bottom half of the league in terms of crosses completed into their box. And those are all things that come from strong center back play, where it's really hard to connect passes in your box from that. It's funny that you bring that up because that's something that you uh, immediately recognize with uh, his gameplay, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of things that that stand out. Uh, his the the ball at his feet, but his ability to uh, to man mark and be that big figure in the box to deny crosses and and to deny entry passes um, definitely stands out to me as one of the one of the defining traits that he's able to do both for Atlanta and for the U.S. men's national team. I think another big thing with Atlanta is just that it feels like that first team, like they kind of hit on every single recruitment project, right? Like they, they got them all right. Like Almiron, Martinez, uh, just pulling Michael Parkhurst out and turning him into like this, you know, incredible player. Like, like you know, they, they feel like they Jeff hit. Jeff Lorenowitz. Jeff Lorenowitz actually was a really good player for them. Yeah, uh, like uh, yeah, like just just weird things. Like they managed to kind of find that profile. I, I wonder, Mike. Uh, this might be something more like 
you you might have some insight in like what do you kind of like look at like when you're could this just be a thing where like a change so many changes of coaches that they just don't have like a clear cut identity anymore? Like like how do how do you deal with that from like a recruitment perspective? Yeah, I mean that's really tough. It's always a lot harder to recruit when there isn't a clear game model and you're not looking at specific roles for specific positions. Um, I don't know. I mean, part of it is really you can't have a really strong playmaker without a good target for that playmaker to be passing to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be hard to tease out the difference between those two things. In other words, is is their attacking mid play worse because Joseph is falling off? Um, I'm not really sure. But that definitely stands out as, I don't know if it's a coaching change thing or a coaching style thing, but something that has changed a lot since that initial recruitment stage um, that, mm-hmm. that I would think about addressing immediately. Yeah. When you when you look at and and Mike, I I want a follow up question on that uh, specifically. I mean, especially coming from Seattle, and I've been a huge Gonzo fan for so many years, um, and what he has done for Seattle. It seems so weird that uh, he goes to Atlanta and he struggles. And I kind of put that in the in the concept of they're still orchestrating that team and they're still building it around his vision. How many, like when we look at that recruitment process, how long does it take? Because, you know, you got hired onto the second part of last season, I think, correct. Is that right? But these years all blend together like uh, a bloody mess. But uh, yeah. at this I mean, point in time, clearly like remnants of like other coaches ideas, like in that team. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think like the, Again, this kind of goes back to the clear game model point that Mike made is there's remnants of other coaches and those other coaches all played totally differently from one another. Like mm-hmm. Tata played very, very fast. We're going to just like play as fast as we can and kill you with with speed. And then there's like DeBoer playing really slow, really stagnant press and possess. And then you have like, some okay we're gonna press and try and play quickly again but we're also gonna keep lots of the ball and now it's like uh, like their pressing metrics are all quite good under Pineda and it's it's clear that the press is an important thing but their in possession ideas are a little bit less clear and it's it's hard to to again I'm a Chelsea supporter I've seen what (laughs) I've unfortunately seen what it's like to to build squads out of four different managers ideas in five years it's really difficult the um yeah and uh i i I mean i think it kind of shows it's just i i think the only answer to that probably is just kind of unfortunately patience and time which is just not something that um soccer fans or sports fans in general are very well known for um so it, it can be difficult now we're looking at like Joseph again here. So at this point, I mean, he's been basically relegated to a sub role. I mean, like he's not, he's not 90 minute guy anymore. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't seem to be able to do that. Um, I don't know, Mike, from like a recruiting standpoint, like, can you just go, like you got one year left on your deal. Like, do you just go find the next Joseph? Like what, what, what kind of things do you look for? Like if you're, if you're doing that sort of thing. So one of the things that I haven't dove into in practice, but I've always loved thinking about is trying to pair in this situation, a finisher striker type player that plays 
well, specifically with the players that you'll have providing for him. And this makes me think a lot about the connection that he had with Gressel before Gressel left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that oh, stood out a lot yeah. as like they relied on each other quite a bit. And I don't know, to me, it, it seemed like that was kind of the beginning of Joseph no longer being Joseph. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's a roundabout way to say I would try to dig in and, and think about what are the passes that are creating good chances that Atlanta players are playing and what kinds of players are getting on the ends of those passes. And that's really where I would start. Yeah. I love that answer so much. This fits in well with like Mike, you and I have talked about this before in terms of uh, like, if you want to replace a player, right? So if we're talking about like, okay, I'm Atlanta, I want to go get a new forward because I recognize it's probably not positive value to renew Joseph as a DP anymore is like looking at um, phase adjusting stuff to match the profile. We're like, okay, yeah. When we're talking about player similarity stuff, yes, this player has similar XG, has similar XA. He takes his touches in the same places. His shots are generally in the same spots, whatever. But now it's like, okay, does this striker, what percentage of their shots are coming in transition? What percentage of their shots are coming off of crosses against settled defenses? What percentage are coming off of progressive passes? And I think that's one of the things when you look at like the really, really like solid recruitment is like, okay, how much are we thinking about these sorts of things? Yeah, totally agreed. I, I think the world, the where goals come from framework is a great place to start with that too. That's a mm-hmm. really good high level overview, overview of where goals come from. Where are your chances coming from? Who's creating those kinds of chances that are the most valuable and who's getting on the end of them. So if you're a, I'll put this one kind of back out to the group because we'll just let, we all want to be armchair GMs here. But if you're looking at a sort of tough decision here with Joseph Martinez, um, when you're left on his contract, maybe you could probably, somebody would bite, I would imagine, um, if you tried to move him in league, if he would, if he doesn't have an NTC, which he probably does. Um but that's a uh, emotionally, that's a tough one. Um, that's going to be a tough one for for fans to swallow. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, would would you just kind of let him play out his contract and try to let him leave on a on an amicable note, or, or do you just go like, we we got to make a change here? I think I think he still puts up like as much as we're we're bagging on the guy. Like I still think he puts up enough production as a. Like, okay, he he's maybe not the guy you want to start when you're going to play Philly and NYC. I think there's enough production there that you can eat the last year of his deal and keep playing him for one more year. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the more difficult conversation is like, you're going to be talking about renewing him or not renewing him at 30. And I think the the like asks from either side of the camp on that one are going to be very different. Yeah. I, I let me just say I I agree with what you just said. Uh in addition to that, I think that if you add 
a central midfielder that has the ability to play make, has the ability to get back on defense and kind of help Miles Robinson because Miles Robinson isn't coming back at 100%. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to see 100% Miles Robinson until what next year, mid year sometime, maybe, hopefully. Uh, praying to God now that yeah. that's accurate. Um, you need somebody like Jao Paulo uh, in this midfield. And if you get that, Joseph Martinez probably becomes more of the more likely Joseph Martinez making the runs that we see Joseph Martinez. I think that they need to re and I've said it before um, previously earlier today. um, They need more help. They need a mobile midfield. And I think that's one of their key issues. And I think that if they do that, it really opens up, and creates more of a dynamic opportunity for those uh, attackers to run at goal again. And uh, while I agree, I think they're probably going to play more of a possession style that doesn't suit him, but coming in that second half and being somebody that can run at goal, that is Joseph. And that's going to do a lot off the bench. And, you know, even as a, as a, you know, 12th man, if that's what you want to call him, or if you want to call him as, you know, somebody that, that spot starts in situations tactically that, that are just advantageous to his skill set. Um, you, you could still see Joseph Martinez be Joseph Martinez. It just takes the right situation because right now it's not helping him. What, what they're playing and how they're playing is not helping. Him. Like, isn't that supposed to be Rosetto? or Sosa, or Ibarra. Like, they've spent... So, uh, I was doing some research for the trivia questions <laughs> there. Sure. And, oh, great. And, and they, they've spent... They have, I'm writing all the, three of those names down, by the way, since, now. Thank you. Since Go, go for it. Since the original <laughs> um, triumvirate of Joseph Vialba and Almiron, they've signed 12 players for more than a million dollars. And, like, five or six of those guys are mobile center midfielders who do some ball winning and some passing forward in some way, shape or form. And three of them are on the team right now. So it's like, I I look at it and I'm like, yes, I do think they, they do need that. But at the same time, how do you go about getting more of that? When every time you go to the well, which is apparently only in Argentina, uh, <laughs> you you miss or not miss, but like again, these are good players. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that like Moreno sucks or anything like that. But you're maybe not getting uh, or Rosetto sucks, but you're maybe not getting the level of production out of them that you had hoped for. I just don't know how you go about that from a on field standpoint. So I think this maybe transitions well to I think the the looming specter over the the corporate offices of Atlanta is like, are you making changes to your organizational structure and your recruitment structure, namely in the shape of one Mr. Loggerway? Mm. <laughs> no, because Loggerway doesn't, and Loggerway is not going to, and we can, I, I'm excited to talk about this. In fact, when, when you brought this up, I, I was, I was most emphatic about it because I think uh, Loggerway can do a lot of things for any, any organization he's hired by. Uh, make no bones about it. He's so good at what he does. 
but his vision and what he works on is the infrastructure of the team and builds the team up through that by expanding it and by working through the, 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 um, the second teams and through the youth. And that's what he's really good about doing. If you want recruitment, you're looking at Chris Henderson. You're looking at the, and I'm using sounder, you know, uh, associations here, but you're looking for somebody that's, that's already have, has established a pipeline and identified uh, talent in South America, right? That's who you're looking for, in my opinion. And, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ian. Go ahead. I was, I mean, I, yeah, but also Garth Lago. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to leave Seattle. So there's that too. You, you uh, don't think he would leave? I, I don't think he's tied to Seattle. I like, honestly, like if you, if you paid him, you know, uh, 60%, 120%, let's say more than what he's getting in Seattle, like would he leave? Yeah, probably. I think um, so. Probably match it. I, I mean, like it's, it's just like, I don't know. I, I think unless like, for whatever reason, somebody at Seattle decides like they just don't want Garth Lagerway anymore. I, I think it's pretty pretty likely that he'll stay. All indications I'm getting is that he's 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 not going. But you never know. Uh, you so know, I, 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 have one, I have one question that kind of plays yeah. off of this for Mike. So, like, Mike, you've you've done consulting with some clubs, and I guess my my question is like, as an outsider who is either working with these clubs in some capacity or like seeing things kind of from a different viewpoint. How like what's your sense of how much of a difference through recruitment one person can make? Because that's always been my question is like <laughs> I don't yeah. think I don't think good recruitment is like people say this with with European clubs all the time like oh just hire Manchi like Manchi will do your recruitment good and it's like I don't really think that's how it works. Yeah, I don't know that it is either. I, if I'm answering honestly, I don't I don't think that I know. I mean, my experience is fairly limited to smaller clubs where uh, resources are not the same as right <laughs> as you might imagine. So I don't know. I mean, maybe if you have one juggernaut that can really do it all, they can change a lot of things. But my instinct says, no, one person is not, is not going to do everything. That's just not how scouting works to me. Yeah. And I guess like a lot of the... Um we talk a lot about like pipelines. We talk a lot about um, like Atlanta keeps going to the uh, like Argentinian well, for example, like they seem to have found like how much of that is because like, that's just what they've identified as a preference. They've defined like, this is where we like to go fish because we, we, we get good fish here. Or is this, is there more to like the club structure in the sense, like this is where we know people, this is where we have contacts. This is where we can actually get, not just like identify these players, but we can get these players to come here. I think like that's definitely part of it. Like there, I mean, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit for listeners, like we definitely know there are MLS clubs who just like pick up agents, yeah. phone calls. Yeah. Like we, we yep. know that that's a thing. Um, and I'm not, I am to be clear, I'm not suggesting that Atlanta are necessarily one of those clubs, but that is a thing that goes on. And I think especially once you, you visit that well once or twice, the locals remember your name and your face um, to, to stretch the metaphor even further. But you see with TFC and Italians, it's, it is definitely a thing. 
Well, I mean, yeah, it's not a small wonder that they they've they've built inroads to Argentina through those relationships and through many other things. I think there's a lot of complications that has arisen over the years that they've defeated purely out of um, both finances and then also uh, with that they they've massaged relationships uh, for the future, right? And you don't lay those you don't do that for one player. You do that for the next three players. Mm-hmm. At least that that would be my interpretation of that. Mike, maybe you have a different opinion or maybe you have a different uh, perspective. I don't really. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> there, there is another years. piece that I am always separated from, which is that once you identify the good player, you need mm-hmm. to get them to the team. Right. And there can be a lot of challenges with getting a player from another country into your country. And maybe there's something to be said for knowing how that process works from one specific place. Maybe there's not, and that process isn't all that different. I don't know. I've never done that part. But I do imagine that, that there is an extra level of comfort there that might help. Yeah. Well, um, I think we... I think we- 30 minutes on Atlanta. Boy, we're going to have some. That's, uh, you know what? The fact that. Patreon Discord there. Uh, (laughs) The fact that, like, you're not, you're not, like, writhing and crying and in a ditch somewhere. Like, Ian, I'm, I'm actually really proud of you. You know, Atlanta and me, we're, we're, we're cool now. You know, they stopped being super good and I, I, it annoyed me a lot less. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a team that is on the rise. Uh, certainly uh, a turnaround team from, from the last few seasons. And that is uh, our football club, Dallas. Um, what, what happened there? Dallas is my favorite team. Non-TFC what? team in the entire what? league. Really? Whoa! Yeah. yeah. Is that a this year thing or like? Always? No, this is a this year thing. This is like a. Okay. So last week, to add some continuity, episode to episode, we talked about how, like, it's been very fun to see teams with cohesive tactical identities and ideas about recruitment and game models thrive mm-hmm. this year. And Dallas are very much in this vein where they play a lot of kids. They play a lot of domestic players and their through line between everything they do is we're going to press like crazy and we're going to try and play reasonably fast in transition and have fun keeping us up with us when it's 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the middle of July. And to me, it's, it's, I think like Jesus Ferra is just a superstar and he was number one in 22 under 22 today, which is cool. Um, but seeing them take all the really talented kids and, and maybe less talented kids, but who are functional and useful squad players and are essentially salary cap free, and then augmenting them with Ariola and Legette and uh, Velasco has been pretty cool to see, especially because I think sometimes you can see when you have young teams is you bring in an older guy and that guy kind of takes space away from the young players. And I think what's been really cool is like Ariola has fit in rather than taking over. And that I think is, is very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, that was a trade. I was definitely like, I, you know, my eyebrows did raise uh, when I, when I saw that deal go through, but it's, it's hard, hard to argue with results. Um, you know, he's been, 
uh, one of the better guys in terms of uh, XA in the league and um, just a just a, a very dynamic force there. And he's, he's he's put in his minutes and he's 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 definitely made them a much better team. Not just Ariola, but uh, Legette as well. Like you say what you want, he really didn't work out too well uh, in New England. I, and and yeah. I don't. I, it's not that he didn't work out well. Uh, I think he did work out um, decently. I think he was pretty good for uh, for a team that had their own set of issues. But well, I, I think it was really you guys there. I think in their latest, in their last push, you know, when you think about like Omar and Josie and sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how astute for Dallas to see, you know, a few things that were that needed to be fixed and they just went ahead and you know what? We have the finances to be able to swing a move like this. Let's just go ahead and do it. And, you know, to, to recruit somebody like that. Um, but I, I just I, I love seeing that. I think it's it's great. I think it's great for uh, this league. And I think it's really smart of teams like Dallas that are just trying to, like you said, fit holes around uh, a, a great young roster that's still developing and, and, and definitely using, is intimidating. Using the league to do it, like shopping within Major League Soccer too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which they seem a lot better at than going abroad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Well, I think the, the, the other, the other like... but but part of it part of it for dallas is like the sales are also preferential to in-league spending like with the new with the new transaction rules like if you sell uh, a homegrown player or whatever you sell a player you get up to nine hundred fifty thousand dollars in allocation money from that sale and so you look like they sell tessman they sell uh pepe those two sales both generate like almost $22 million in real life money for them to pay employees and upgrade the training ground or whatever. But it also gives them $2 million in allocation money that they weren't expecting to have that expires in a year. Like, and your payroll is definitely not going into spend allocation money to get under the cap. You might as well trade it. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then I think you can't underestimate, like, uh, you know, Nico's come in and done really good work. Um, I think that was another manager that probably wasn't on a lot of people's radars, right? Um, but it's it's hard to hard to argue with, uh, oh, again, <laughs> they look really, really solid this year. And they're Kieran Doyle's favorite team. I mean, come on. Mike, what's the, what's the, what's the Austin, uh, what's the Austin vibe with, uh, Dallas is that like a is that like a real rivalry or just a we're both in Texas rivalry? <laughs> I think it's a we're both in Texas rivalry. If I'm being honest, if Fair if enough. it's a if it's a real rivalry, I don't think people in Dallas think it's a real rivalry. I'll put it nice. Right. All right. I mean, I, I, really really fast on Nico Estevez. Uh, like you brought him up, and, and yeah, he really wasn't on my on my radar, but I mean, you look at his past history and what he's done. Um, Mm -hmm. it's really cool to see, um, because yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't anywhere on that. And to be perfectly honest, I I thought that Dallas moved really kind of abruptly. And, uh, I, I, I wasn't really fond of the the move to be perfectly honest, but it's worked out really well for them. And, uh, I I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. 
Yeah, they seem like an identity team again, right? Like they they got their thing. Yeah, going. no, absolutely. That's a really great call. Yeah, that's 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 uh, again, that's always going to be kind of be a Dallas thing, or at least uh, at least in the short term, I see it continuing to be a Dallas thing. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's move out west to another team back on the rise, perhaps. I don't know. It's a little undecided still, but it's looking pretty good for the Los Angeles Galaxy. They might just slip into this postseason. Um, Chicharito, not great at penalties, pretty good at other stuff. Um, <laughs> I know, Kieran, you've got some history with Vanny. Are you, are you finally starting to see the Los Angeles Galaxy become a, a Greg Vanny style of team, or, or are they still kind of uh, uh, forging a new path here? Yeah, I think it's very fun because the Galaxy are like very similar to what TFC were in 2016, like the year before they won MLS Cup. Mm -hmm. I think they, like Vanny is a very possession-focused coach. Um, They, he wants to play 4-3-3. He wants to like focus on playing central possession can we find the opposite eight to create two v1s on the opposite fullback like um that that's his thing he talks about playing across the game is his his phrase that he uses and um like tfc he has stumbled into having a bunch of really good strikers and maybe not the midfield to do what he wants and maybe not the the squad to play that way so he's kind of forced into playing two strikers a lot so like you look at the galaxy and they end up playing uh chicharito all the time but then there's like maybe it's cabral next to him maybe it's yelvoyich next to him um he's like victor vasquez is just a superstar that guy will play till he's 40 um i i think it's like I don't think it's full form Vanny Ball yet, but I think a lot of the things they do are pretty consistent with with the good parts of how he coaches teams. Yeah, and then they go out and you know he gets guys he knows. You know he gets Mark Delgado, um, who's been uh, the whole know, league. Not- the whole league should be upset that they let LA get that get him for four hundred grand. By the way, yeah, I mean I don't think he's been a superstar, but he's been a solid presence in a place they really needed one. Um, you know, I <laughs> the Galaxy are kind of an amusing team of sorts because they really don't have um, – they do recruitment very differently there at the Los Angeles Galaxy, right? And um, that they don't do recruitment? I don't really know what they do at the Los Angeles Galaxy. <laughs> I like that uh, Mike laughed. I like that Mike laughed. I, I struck on something. <laughs> I won't, I'll leave that alone, but I just want to point that out. <laughs> The, uh, I don't know anything yeah. about their recruitment. Yeah, I mean, we saw, like, I think we all read the article uh, that Sam wrote for The Athletic where they talked about, like, they just have, what, like, one sort of data guy? Am I misremembering that? They might not even have any kind of data department. They just kind of... I don't... Yeah, I know for a fact that... I, I know we've I, had, like... We've heard stories about them going and signing. Like, they signed that French defender a few years back and just sight unseen completely. Um, oh, the center back, Yeah. He was terrible. And um, yeah, and they paid a lot of money for him. And you just like, it's that, you know, that that's just like the agent on the phone. It seems like they've been going to France a lot lately, too. <laughs> like, that's kind so of the, where they've been. Yeah, that's a, that's a Vanny thing because Vanny played for uh, 
one of the B teams, I think, in France. Yeah. So he and he speaks fluent French. So okay, he just, yeah, he's got you know. Hey, France, pretty good at soccer. Turn, he you know? he could pronounce club de foot. That's for sure. <laughs> we could have gone around. <laughs> uh, all right, so gut check time, guys. Is Ellie gonna is Ellie gonna make it through to this playoffs? Are they gonna are they gonna see this out? Like they should, they should, mm-hmm. and I would back them over any of the chasing teams just off of, um, just off of they they have been I think in the West this year they've been like the third best expected goal difference team and maybe like sixth in the league or seventh in the league, mm-hmm. and like what what do what do the what do the ASA playoff predictions say? Uh, they like them the most of, of all the, the ones in that pack. A lot of that is just because they're already in the position, I think. Yes. Um, which is, which is a big help. Uh, they have a, you know, complicated match uh, against San Jose, which, you know, one of those matches, one of those fixtures, you can just kind of throw the, what, what do they say in football? Answer? Just throw the, throw the form book out the window, something like that. Rip up the form book. Uh, just because, you know, uh, it's always a wild one. They played some college for some reason. Uh, it, it's uh so there's some 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 definitely some hurdles there but uh they do look to be the most in position to do it um they also have a game in hand they do have a game in hand too and um i gotta say like more than bale more than Keelini, more than any of these like mid-season signings uh ricky puig puig just let me see God. ricky puig looks legit <laughs> that was an incredible fantastic yeah um, and, and when when was talking like about the midfield players for goals added already <laughs> well so yeah good. and when 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 Kieran was talking about the not having the midfield to do what they wanted like that that was the first thing that came to me i was like well they might they might have they a might good now. start they for might, that, right? <laughs> they might they might now they absolutely might now yeah, so let me just let me just say that let me just put this out. So uh, for goals added for LA, the top is Chicharito one point two four, Derek Williams one point one six, uh, Alvarez zero point eight four, and then Ricky Puig with zero point eight three in just six hundred minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> he's doing good. Good good pickup, guys. Here's a, here's a here's a fun one that I that I laugh at. Uh, if you go look at like progressive passes. Um, for for players over five nineties, mm-hmm. uh, he is so far in first that if you didn't check the list, you'd think he'd be a player with like eight minutes played or something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in 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 six nineties, he has eleven point three progressive passes to game, which I realize that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but Carlos Heel is second, and he's not even past ten. And that's maybe the best ten in the league. So, and I, you know, they didn't have any like scouting department on this guy either. I mean, you know, like this. <laughs> they said they saw they saw Barcelona compilation highlights on on Twitter, and, hey, and we're like, I, I'm in. Yeah, it worked this time. How, how right, dare um, you? I bet you they got a specialized package. 
All right. All right. So um, one of the things we have right now is our American Soccer Analysis uh, Patreon Discord, which is fun. And you, and you can join us and I'll give some more information on that later. Uh, but we had a question from the Discord. And this is one of the main reasons we brought uh, Mike in today, actually, was to, to give an intelligent answer to this. And this comes from our friend uh, False One, who says uh, he would be interested in hearing how you start database investigation into a player profile without eye test context. Um, yeah, I don't really have any specialized knowledge in this, so I, I'm going to just kind of turn that one over to you, Mike, if, if you want to take that one. Yeah, so there's a few ways that I would think about this, and I will also preface all of this by saying not having any eye test at all is is a terrible situation. Um, okay. You always want that eventually. Like, you you, ne- you never want to go the sight-unseen French center-back route, right? Like, data's right. never going to do all of it. <laughs> Um, but so the first question when you start thinking about this is why are we interested in this player in the first place? And I think that's where data shines is you can take a really long list of thousands and thousands of players and narrow it down to a short list based on teams needs and who stands out in the data. Um, so that's really like the main strength to me is finding that smaller group of players. Um, but onto the actual question, which is once you've got that group of players, how do you begin by evaluating? Um, and so you want to first look for strengths and weaknesses of the player and then put those strengths and weaknesses within the context of that player's team, I think, especially if you haven't seen that team play. Um, that's especially important. So I, I can start talking a little bit about how I would go about this in a general sense. Um, nice. But, okay. So one of the things that is especially difficult about a player that you've not seen play is trying to figure out what they're good at because you have to figure out a point of comparison. Um, Mm -hmm. So if if you want to know, is this expected goals number good? You have to know, okay, what kind of player am I looking at? Um, One expected goals number for a midfielder that gets forward a lot, but is also doing a ton of defensive work is not going to be impressive compared to like a striker. Um, But if you know that that's the kind of player you're looking at, you can compare them to other players like that and say, okay, this guy is really creating a lot of chances on his own, um, given everything else he's being asked to do. And so there's a few ways of going about that. Um, The simplest is to just look at position, which is more or less how I just did it. But I'm a huge proponent of going past that and thinking about what a player does within the position that they're being asked to play. Um, which can vary a lot. And even those things can vary quite a bit within a season. Um, So that's always something that I try to think about too, is, okay, a player is a striker. Are they dropping into the midfield a lot? Um, Are they progressing the ball as well as getting on the end of passes? Um, Or are they really just getting on the ball in the box and and creating shots? Um, In the context of a team, you might then think, what are the other strikers on that team doing? If they're progressing the ball and dropping into the middle third a lot, is that also what their other forwards do, or is this something unique to that player? And that can be really valuable information moving forward when you think about how a player might fit a new team or just thinking about that particular person versus the system that they play in. Um, The same kind of logic can be applied moving farther and farther back. So if they're a midfielder, what kind of midfielder are they? And there's a lot, right? A midfielder can do a lot Mm -hmm. of different things. Um, (laughs) Sure. Like if they progress the ball, are they progressing it with passes or carries or long passes or short passes? And then again, if if they're just blasting the ball long a lot, is that something that they do or is it something that their team does? 
And then the last piece, and I don't know, Kieran, you mentioned this earlier, and I'd love to hear if you have any more thoughts on this, because I think about it a lot, is phase of play. And that's something that's really, that's where placing a player within a team context can be really, really valuable, is phase of play is often dictated by the team style, I think. Just how much the team can be on the ball, how quickly the team breaks in general. And that's where you can start to get into really fine-grained value as to where a player is adding value or not. Yeah, I I think like one of the things that really hits is like you have to be able to evaluate the player in their context, but you also have to be able to evaluate where they are in your context, where, um, for example, like you have an attacking player that has really great numbers in whatever league you found, you see, okay, great, like their most of their stuff is coming in the the same uh the same situations that we want to we want to score from and they're they're whatever all all the things are hitting but then okay how do they fit into my context so like the the really nice example that i have is someone like jacob schaffelberg where you look at schaffelberg's data profile and you see okay this player presses a lot and well, um, like they have a high pressure success percentage, something like that. Um, they have like weirdly high uh, XG and XA for someone who is like kind of a grafty winger. Um, they take shots in good locations. They get lots of penalty box shots. They have reasonably high progressive passes received and behind all those sorts of things. And you're like, oh, this guy seems like a really good fit for a team who's going to have possession and attack in behind. And then it's, you look and okay, maybe you pick up one of his weaknesses as he can't really play on the right and cut in. And now you plug all of that into the context of TFC and you're like, well, he's just never going to play over Insigne. And so you end up with someone who, if you've never seen play, you're like, oh, this player's good. Why did TFC trade him? And then you plug that back into the context of the team and it's like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense. Um, and I think that's one of the things that comes out, especially when you're, you're looking mostly on the data side is how do they fit into their context, but also how do they fit into our context and what do we actually want out of this spot? Yeah. And I think the really interesting cases are when it goes the other way, when you find a player that's a misfit, for the team they're already playing on. Oh, yeah. I, I remember reading, I don't think I made this up, um, Will Spearman of Liverpool talking about how Andy Robertson was a rare example of an offensive player that was very good at offense on a defensive team. Um, yeah, for Hull. Yep. Hull City. And I've never seen advanced statistics from Hull City in 2016. So I don't know exactly what Will Spearman was looking at. If Will Spearman said it, you can uh, you can engrave it on my tombstone and like take it to the bank. Like I, whatever that dude says is money. Like I've heard him speak twice and I like publicly, and it's just amazing to me the stuff that that dude comes up with and the things that come out of his brain. Anyways, continue on. Sorry. No, I mean that's the point, right? Like that's that was one of their main strategies, and Andy Robertson is is known for being a data signing, and that's one of the things that they saw was that his numbers popped when they took into account the context of the team he was playing for and then accounted for, okay, what happens when we put him in Liverpool and he can really attack and get forward. 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that I try to think about when I think about that context. Can I ask a general uh, question sort of related to this? But every time like I imagine myself being hired as a recruitment person or GM, uh, which is em- embarrassingly uh, and a thought I often have, even though I have no qualifications or ability or skills for it. Um, <laughs> and w- one of the things, and where the where that daydream kind of ends for me at me being good at this, uh, and I'm sure it's a, it's a stumbling block for even the best in the biz. How do you look at a player in one league, and then try to sort of um, say? whether or not he'll be good in this league. That's really hard. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> um, it is where really my hard. daydream comes to an end every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are models and stats that exist that try to establish league strength and I've used them and I think they're useful. Um, there's extra layers to that though. I don't think it can ever really be simplified that much. Different leagues have right. different styles. Um, so you have to kind of take that into account when you think about, okay, what, situations is this player finding themselves in most often versus what they're going to find themselves in in this new situation um i'm I'm just elaborating on the problem without giving you an answer to the problem and i think that's probably the best i can do okay that's fair i I have a question mike you talked a lot about you know taking bits of pieces of information and trying to break it down and distill them into into you know the proper context you know such as andy robertson as you just gave how much does year over year uh, stats influence that versus just, uh, you know, we have we have a huge habit, especially within American sports, to have that what have you done for me lately type attitude towards a player. And how much does those year over year statistics and, and numbers and data really drive the whole uh, picture of a and performance of a player? I mean, it definitely matters. But for me, that's one of the main things that I look at when I think about the numbers that I'm using to judge a player in the first place. Ideally, the numbers that you're using to decide whether a player is good at something are already fairly stable year over year. Um, Obviously, yeah, I mean, a single drop-off for a year means you're taking a risk. Um, The same way that maybe, especially for an older player, if they all of a sudden are the greatest player on Earth, like maybe they won't be the greatest player on Earth next year. Um, But that is a driving force behind the metrics that I use in the first place is making sure we're measuring something that is stable. We, yeah. we probably don't have time to talk about this. We definitely don't. But one of the, the interesting things that I think people are starting to think about is like, when is a player taking like the quote unquote leap where like, I think a lot of people have kind of had that question with, um, Liverpool signing Diaz last year and Nunez this year where it's like, hey, this is the first year these guys have put up crazy numbers in a league of questionable translation to our league. Um, And I think that's like a very interesting thing to think about going forward where I don't think there's a ton of um, literature or, or research in the space so far. Yeah. All right one thing left to do on this episode of the American soccer analysis show. And it's our most popular feature ever. Uh, despite have having only existed for one week, but, uh, Kieran, do you, do you have MLS trivia for us this week? I do indeed. 
I still only right. wrote six questions, but All since right. there's three of you, you'll get two each, and we'll okay. say steals are open to the audience. To the audience. All right. Or to, to, to everyone. To everyone. Yeah, sure. If you're at home, if you, you can you get stole points. the question. Just send Kieran a tweet. Send, yeah, send that. me a tweet, and I'll add you to the leaderboard. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, uh, there there are six questions. Uh, Mike, as you're the guest, I'll say uh, you, you are more than welcome to go first. Pick a number between one and six, my friend. Let's go with three. Okay, number three is about Nashville, who we didn't end up having time to talk about, but uh, we'll include it anyways. Uh, so, Hanny Mukhtar, who we would have said is the for sure MVP and any other opinion is wrong, has created, in terms of non-penalty XG or XA, over half of Nashville's XG in, 20, in the 2022 season, which is just crazy. On a per 90 basis, what regular Nashville outfield starter, so this player plays a lot, has put up the lowest fraction of Nashville's XG. Oh, I feel like this has got to be a trick question. Probably not either of the center backs. Ooh, uh, the answer is not Daniel Lovitz. Harrison, as you were the winner last week, would you like to steal first? Uh, I can't think. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take a stab. I'm going to guess it's Sean Davis. And you would be correct. Oh, no. it is. It is no, indeed. It is. it is indeed MLS lore favorite. Sean, ASA lore favorite, Sean Davis. Uh, we Sean, love that guy. Don't worry. don't worry about it. We Sean. love that guy. He does not, not score you. very often, but we it's love him. It's the team. You'll be a star, Sean, a star. Uh, yeah, I was going to guess Daniel Lovitz too. So, <laughs> yeah, Lovitz gets forward a lot though. So, yeah, he does. He Sean, does. Sean Davis. All right, not Sean's game. It's not Sean's game. No. Sean plays a different game. Yeah, Har- absolutely. Harrison, you're up one through six, and not number three. Uh, let's 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 guess four. Let's go four. Ooh, okay. So this is our Atlanta United question. Since the original crop of Atlanta United DPs and quasi-DPs of LGP Joseph Almiron of Yalba, the five stripes have signed 12 players for at least $1 million, like I mentioned. With a minimum of 1,000 minutes played, which of them had the worst goals added per 96? Would you like the list of players? <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay. Yes. So, so the 12 of them you have Tiago Amada, you have Pity Martinez, you have Barco, you have Araujo, which I definitely said wrong. You have Marcelino Mourinho, Santiago Sosa, Eric Lopez, um, Ibarra, Franco, Rossetto, Rometty, Nagby, and Edwin Mascara. It's like a murderer's robe, but the opposite. <laughs> I I think every single player on here, except for Rosetto and Araujo, is Argentinian as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I I really want to say uh, Eric Lopez, but to play to actually build up G plus you or negative G plus, you have to play. So I'm gonna go with PT Martinez. It was not PT Martinez. Ian, uh, would you like to steal? Remedi. Remedi is second. He's yeah. the second worst. Oh. Mike, your chance to steal. Marco. Not quite. It was Franco Ibarra. Ah, Franco. Oh. Yeah. There you go. 
The stagnant uh, Argentinian. All right. Yes. All righty, Ian, you're up. All right. Uh, give me give me question number uh, one. Give me the first one. Number one, uh, Jesus Ferreira, and this is uh, this question was inspired by something in the Discord. Jesus Ferreira is currently tied for the Dallas record for goals in a season with eighteen. He needs one more to set a franchise record of nineteen. Who is he currently tied with? Oh man. I'm going to feel really oh, stupid oh, this. Is it Kenny oh, Cooper? No. It is not Kenny Cooper. Uh, I believe Mike has first steal. I I think Harrison knows this one. Give Harrison, go for it. Are you going to give it to me? Jason Christ. Yeah. It is indeed Jason Christ. Wow, Jason Christ. That's old. Yeah. He was too excited. I couldn't. I, I'm sorry, Mike. I was so excited. You, you, they give that point to Mike because he absolutely knew it. Like, he, he, he just was such a good guess. Like, I was going to get something right, and I was so excited. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't watch that. Served it up to Harrison like, like Gressel de Martinez. Oh, it oh, was. Wow. It was a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Oh, wow. All righty. Next, next one. Uh, I think Harrison's back. I know oh, Mike is back up. Back around. Six. Did we do six? We did not do six. Uh, ooh, this is a fun one. Uh, Arsenal, if you were paying attention to the Premier League this weekend, uh, debuted a 15-year-old named Ethan Nwaneri. Mm. Name any of the 15-year-olds to make an appearance in the ASA data set, so 2013 to 2022. There are oh. four of them. Man. Pass. I'm blanking. Uh, was one of them Danny Leva? Oh, that's who I was going to guess. Nope. He was 16, wasn't he? He was 16. I, oh. Uh, Cirillo? No. Wow, I'm shocked. Was it Alvarez? No. No. There's a big Seattle one you are forgetting. He's uh, still very young and plays. Well, he's not playing right now, but normally he Josh Intensio? Josh Intensio? No, even younger. Let's see, there's like Whiting. Uh, Whiting is like two months too old for this. (laughs) All right. Okay, so the the four, the most recent one is Matai Akinembani, who plays for DC United. Uh, The other unknown one that you wouldn't have gotten is Eric Duenas, who came on for LAFC. Um, but the two obvious ones are Obed Vargas and Alfonso Davies. Oh, wow. We, we missed Davies. Oh man. With the Davies guy on. Oh man. Mike. Truly, truly just a failure on all, all fronts from us there. Wow. Already. I think Harris Harrison is up with five and two left. Uh, give me two. Alrighty, two. Uh, the most super of super subs, Dejan Jovic, has 10 goals for the Galaxy in 1,100-ish minutes this season, uh, which is something like 0.85 goals per 96. Uh, in the ASA data set, where does this rank all time? So uh, this is our over-under question. Um, so Ian, I will let you set the over-under and Harrison can pick over or under. So, uh, tenth. Alrighty, Harrison. Is he higher or lower? Higher being one to nine or lower? Uh, I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna guess he's lower. 
Where where would you say he was ranked if you were saying lower? I would I would say somewhere in the top fifty because I have no idea right now. <laughs> well, you would be correct. It is lower. He is the sixteenth. Uh, the sixteenth. I was going to say season. top twenty, but I was so scared to say that. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Basi- basically, all the players above him are like Joseph multiple times, Drogba multiple times, Vela multiple times, and Ibra. Ah, well, uh, what can you do? So not bad. Harrison, you are running away with our trivia. Mike's helping me. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Number five, number five. Ian, number I believe five. this Give is yours. All righty. Uh, since 2017, according oh. to 538, which MLS cup winner had the lowest odds of hoisting the cup going into the last two weeks of the regular season? Since 2015? 17. So you've got 17. one of five. Is it? Is it Seattle? It is not Seattle. No, they would have been. Yeah, they would have been good. They would have gotten that in sixteen. I think they would have. Been they good. they they were they were second lowest at six percent in two thousand nineteen. I think or two thousand eighteen. Okay. All right, uh, Mike. Would you like to steal? No. <laughs> Harrison, do you want the do you want the shutout? Uh, let's, let's think good and hard. So it's definitely not either of the New York teams. So let's go through the winner. Let's go through the winners. 2017, who won? Uh, I have no idea. Is that Toronto's year? Toronto. Toronto. Toronto, Probably not them. Maybe, maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe the 538 really hated TFC. I don't know. No, they were really good that year. 18, Seattle, 19, uh, Atlanta. 19 Seattle, 18 Atlanta. Okay, got those reversed. Uh, 20. Columbus. Columbus, that's right. Oh, it probably was uh, then, wasn't it? I don't... Yeah, Columbus, I, I guess Columbus. That was kind of what I was leaning towards. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. Mr. Harrison, yeah, I'm going to take, take that point from <laughs> Yeah, no, give that to give that to give that to he, Ian at this point. He couldn't even name the MLS Cup winners in the last four. So let's just send that one. <laughs> yeah, let's exactly on the exactly. board, boys. On the board. There you go. So good I, job, I, good I, job I, Ian. I, I believe that is a four-one win for Harrison, uh, who extends his lead at the top of the table. A Philadelphia Union of Podcast trivia. All right, <laughs> folks. That is the end of our show. Um, thank you everybody for listening thank you to harrison uh and kieran you can find harrison on twitter at harrison underscore crow you can find kieran on twitter at at kier doyle k-i-e-r doyle uh mike where can people find you uh at mimbergio m-i-m-b-u-r-g-i-o thank you so much for coming on mike and, and and sharing your uh, uh unique perspective on some of these questions for us um you can find me on twitter at a handle for ian uh you can follow american soccer analysis on twitter at analysis evolved please visit the website www.americansocceranalysis.com uh we've got a lot of great stuff up there right now just today we released uh our playoff projections a lot of interesting uh insights on there if you want to take a look uh and also of course um if you like the show, if you like the website, you use our data, please consider supporting us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash American Soccer Analysis. 
$5 a month tier gets you access to our Patreon-only Discord. Uh, we have a lot of fun on there, a lot of cool people, and uh, you'll be able to kind of interact with us. And uh, honestly, like a lot of what was discussed in there is what influenced the show this week. So um, please uh, jump in and, and uh, you know give us things to talk about, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, to comply. Uh, thank you once again for listening. We will see you all next time. And until then, enjoy the soccer.